0: Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And today I'm delighted to have as our guest Miles McAvoy, who is the Deputy Administrator for the National Organics Program. He was appointed by Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack, to take his appointment on October 1st, 2009. Miles, welcome.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
0: You have a really interesting background. I was delighted to see that you have a master's in entomology from Cornell, which means you understand bugs.
1: Uh, Yeah, I love bugs. (laughs) I was a butterfly collector when I was a kid and also an avid birder and amateur botanist and just love the outside world.
0: And you also headed up the Washington State Department of Agriculture's Organic Food Program. You've worked with the National Association of State Organic Programs, and you also were one of the founding directors for the Food Alliance. And I have to commend you for that because the Food Alliance is unique in that it looks at both sustainable farming methods as well as social welfare issues on the farm.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Um, Yeah, the, the Food Alliance was a project that we worked on when I was with the Washington State Department of Agriculture and with Washington State University and Oregon State University to try to bring the the market and uh, the farm community together around core issues of social welfare, uh, soil management, and pest control. So uh, I'm I'm happy to say that that project is still alive and well and has expanded beyond its uh, very modest beginnings there in the Northwest.
0: And it's an eco-labeling program, right?
1: That's right, yeah.
0: So if you see the label on food, just as you would see the USDA organic label on food, that would tell you something. So let's talk about that. When you know, I hear a lot of confusion, quite frankly, in the marketplace from consumers about what organic means and what it doesn't mean. So uh, when a consumer sees a certified organic label on a product, what does that tell them?
1: Well, a lot of consumers, the, the reasons why they buy organic is to avoid certain substances, to avoid pesticides and antibiotics and hormones. As consumer research has indicated that that's the, the main driver for, for why consumers at least initially buy organic products. But organic production is much more expansive than that. It's based on the concept that uh, a healthy soil leads to healthy plants that lead to healthy food that's better for the consumer, whether it's a an animal or a, a human consumer. So the standards for crop production they have to do with using natural uh, fertility management, to compost and uh, rock minerals, and crop rotation to to build the fertility of the soil, work with the biology of the soil. For pest control, again, it's a biological pest management system to work to have uh, resistant varieties and practices that try to balance the the pests and the beneficial insects, and then for livestock management, using organic feed, using good husbandry practices to promote the the welfare of the animals so that they can be healthier and better able to, um, to fend off any kind of disease problems.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. When I speak to organic farmers here in the Midwest, they consistently tell me that when they switched from conventional to organic practices, the health of their animals improved dramatically, as well as they can tell differences in the quality of their soil. So I think, you know, from a consumer education standpoint, we can help consumers understand that when they are purchasing an organic product, they are also contributing to the health of the planet and the health of our soil and animals, as you mentioned.
1: Yeah, anecdotally I've heard the same kind of thing from uh, especially organic dairy operations that were very concerned about mastitis and other health problems when they transitioned into organic production and that their concerns were not did not come true that that their health problems were actually reduced. But these are anecdotal stories and what is really needed uh in USDA is is putting uh, some resources into this is more research to is that actually true? Can we uh, definitively show through research that organic production has some of these benefits in terms of reduced health problems?
0: Now, where does this research come from? Does it come from land-grant universities that have to compete for
1: grants? Sure. Land-grants would be um, certainly involved in doing a lot of the research. Um, In Washington State, Washington State University has a a whole organic research research project. They have an organic degree program now, and they get uh, funding from a variety of different sources to conduct that research for the growing organic food industry, and I know that's the same in in a lot of land-grant institutions around the U.S., that as there are more and more organic producers out there, there's certainly that demand to have this kind of research conducted, and the land-grants are are stepping up to the plate to do that. Funding is coming from a variety of sources. As I mentioned, um, USDA provides funding through the Agricultural Research Service and also through specific programs like the Sustainable Agricultural Research and Education Program and the Organic Research and Education Initiative. So some of those are specific to organic, like um, the Organic Research and Education Initiative, but others like Agricultural Research Service uh, provide research for a variety of agricultural research that includes organic projects.
0: Well, I was reading that Congress had increased the National Organic Program funding to 2.6 million in fiscal year 08 and then this to 3.2 million in fiscal year 09, and that doesn't seem like a lot of money.
1: Yeah, the money uh, was uh, almost 4 million dollars in 2009, it went up to 7 million dollars in 2010 and then the uh, president's budget for 2011 is $10 million for the program. So the the funding and the resources for the National Organic Program have increased substantially over the last couple of years and really make a difference in terms of what we're able to do because of those additional resources. The previous administration really struggled because they just didn't have very much money to run a, a global National Organic Program that was responsible for protecting organic integrity both in the U.S. and for products being shipped in from overseas. So they had a, a staff of between six and eight people between 2002 and 2007 to run this program, and that just was not sufficient. So these additional resources that the program has available now really do make a, a huge difference in terms of trying to make the program meet the the needs of the organic community and the organic food industry.
0: Well, and it seems like the organic food industry is the largest and fastest growing segment of the food industry.
1: Well, it certainly has been growing very robustly over the last decade. Even in the recession in 2009, sales grew by 5%, so not the same double-digit growth as in previous years, but still a modest growth in 2009.
0: Yeah, absolutely, and reflecting, as you mentioned earlier, the consumer concerns. Well, let's talk about one issue that I think is of interest because we hear so much controversy in this, and that has to do with yield. I believe Washington State, actually, your your home state, just released a report on the quality of strawberries and nutrient quality, which we were happy to see, those of us who are organic advocates, but what about yield? This was an issue that was brought up on a Science Friday program and really wasn't fully addressed. And I hear people say, well, yes, you know, organic's very nice, but, uh, you know, we have to feed the world. And it's my understanding through looking at some of the global research that actually agroecological methods, of which organic is certainly an agroecological farming method, um, actually is the best way to feed the world. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Well, that's a very uh, complex question. I mean, there's a lot of different factors in, in terms of production. So you have many, many different systems of agricultural production around the world, and there's a lot more research that needs to be done in this area. So if you look at specific cropping systems in specific areas, you sometimes see significantly reduced yield for organic compared to conventional, but then you can look at other systems and the yields can be comparable. The other thing that can be looked at is the scale of production. So um, one thing that is seen is that smaller-scale operations generally have higher yields per acre than uh, larger-scale operations, and that's because they're intensively farming those areas using all the land and, you know, usually a lot more management involved, but the yields can, can be higher on intensively managed areas that can sometimes be organic or maybe uh, conventionally Produce. So I would say in general that uh, a lot more research needs to be done and needs to be probably looked at in a uh, regionally specific and a crop-by-crop crop specific uh, manner to see, see how yields compare between organic and conventional. Uh, the other thing about organic production is that there hasn't, hasn't been the same amount of research uh, devoted to organic production systems. And so as there's more research and more sophistication in organic production, then uh, yields will probably increase as uh, as farm management, uh, organic farm management uh, improves.
0: Mm-hmm. That's good to know because I think that it's one of the barriers. You know, I, I had mentioned in an email to you that I had been out in California and I was looking for some organic fruit because I, I didn't want to consume a lot of pesticide residues and I wanted to support organic farmers. And I stopped at one fruit stand and the gentleman at the stand said no We proudly don't have organic fruit. It's because we feed the world. And I felt like that was really an unjust attitude to have about organic agriculture.
1: Well, that's certainly a number of people's opinions. Um, There's certainly a lot of farmers that rely on conventional farming techniques to produce quality products that feed a lot of people. And there are certainly areas of the country where organic production is going to be quite challenging because of uh, pest and disease pressure. So, uh, for instance, being new to the southeast, uh, there's a lot of of great peaches that are produced in this area, but they also have some, some very challenging pests, disease and insect pests, that make it very difficult to produce those organically.
0: Yes, you're right. And we hear the same story in the Midwest having to do with the rain and the fungus problems. Right. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Miles McAvoy. He's the deputy administrator of USDA's National Organic Program. Miles, I wonder, being that you've been in this job for a while now, what are some of the challenges that you see to the organic food and farming industry?
1: Well, the challenges that we have here at at the National Organic Program are really continuing the oversight of um, the certified operations, providing clear guidance to certifiers and organic producers and handlers of how to comply. What, what the standards say and how to comply with the standards. Because we firmly believe that uh, the vast majority of organic producers and handlers are compliant with both the intent and the the details of the of the standards, and just really need to understand those standards completely in order to be fully compliant and so we're doing a number of things to provide information, provide training to certifiers, provide information to producers and handlers so that they can be successful. One of those is we created a quality manual to, it's kind of our quality management system to uh, meet international requirements for accreditation and certification systems. That's in the That's being implemented, and we're having the National Institute of Standards and Technology come in to audit our program to make sure that we're effectively managing the program and our oversight over certifiers. The next thing we're doing is we have a uh, a program handbook now that we just published last week, which uh, puts in one place all the uh, policies and interpretations and guidance and instructions so that Certifiers and organic producers and handlers have one place to go for information about the standards, the interpretation of the regulations. And we'll be working on expanding that and putting in additional topics in the future to have that as as robust as, as possible. We also have a project that we're working on with the, with ATRA, the Alternative Technology Transfer for Rural Areas program to Provide uh, record keeping forms and organic system plans um, to, to update those and, and provide those for producers and handlers so that they know what the requirements are, can fill out the forms, and have record keeping forms that will demonstrate their compliance with the standards. And then we also have uh, draft guidance that we are will we will be publishing on certain topics, and those. Topics will go out as draft. There'll be a 60-day comment period, and then they'll be incorporated into the into the handbook eventually. The other projects that we're working on is we continue to work with the National Organic Standards Board to clarify their recommendations of uh, on standards and and new regulatory areas. For instance, we'll be working on uh, new rules for the origin of livestock, for for apiculture, for mushrooms, uh, and then eventually for aquaculture. Uh, there has been a final recommendation on organic aquaculture from the National Organic Standards Board, uh, and we'll be working in terms of putting that into rule over the next couple of years. So those are a few of the projects we're working on. I, I guess the other big challenge is how to have adequate oversight over this uh, worldwide system of uh, production and handling and distribution. We have everything from a small producer that's uh, doing direct marketing to large uh, multinational uh, organizations that are doing uh, organic production and distribution. And though the vast majority of producers and handlers are in full compliance with the regulations, there are those that are not following the regulations. Sometimes that's a minor problem, but sometimes there's fraud of conventional product that's sold as organic. And that happens on both small farms, and um, large businesses as well. So it's not something that just we're concerned about in terms of large operations. We're also concerned about that in terms of small operations. At Washington State, we certainly saw both. We saw uh, a small fruit producer uh, buying conventional and selling it as organic, and we saw larger farms uh, buying conventional mint and selling it as organic. So. Hmm. Scale does not really come to play when um, when fraud is is a concern.
0: And unfortunately, when one of those fraudulent mishaps, which are rare as you say, when that gets into the press, it gives the whole program a bad image. Right. So it, it's unfortunate. Well, we should probably talk about one challenge, and that has to do with our seeds. And I, I was at a Seed Alliance meeting. I believe it was a year ago at the Midwestern Organic and Sustainable Education Service meeting, there was a great deal of concern about having access to germplasm and having the availability and adequate supply of organic seeds. How is the National Organic Program looking at that?
1: Well, there is a recommendation from the National Organic Standards Board uh, in terms of further refinement of what certifiers and producers need to do in terms of using organic seeds. That is something that we will eventually incorporate into the program handbook. We don't think there's any additional rulemaking that we'll need to do in that particular area. In my experience in Washington State, the availability of organic seeds has increased uh, substantially over the, uh, the last dozen years, more and more organic producers are using organic seeds and that that trend will continue. And there's also areas where the availability of organic seeds is not really out there. So I, I, I think for the most part, producers are trying to find organic seeds and and the, the, the quantity and the availability of seeds is increasing over time. So uh, I think the system is actually working.
0: So if I go to the grocery store, I'm a consumer, and I buy an organic food. It could be, I'm not not talking about a packaged product now, I'm just going to buy some vegetables. Should I know that those vegetables were from organic seeds, or does the organic farmer not have to use organic seeds?
1: The organic farmer has to use organic seeds unless they're not commercially available. I see. So um, they have to to do a, a thorough search to see that organic seeds Uh, Well, first they have to use organic seeds. So the the reasons why they could use a non-organic seed would be uh, it's not available, that particular variety is not available for their for what kind of crop they're trying to grow, or um, it doesn't come in the quantity that they're looking for. So it might come in small seed packages, but they need a, a truckload of seeds in order to plant a big field of peas. They cannot use price as a reason to not use organic seeds. I see. And if organic seeds are not available, then they have to use uh, untreated seeds. They can't use treated seeds in organic production.
0: And what would those seeds be treated with?
1: Well, actually, they can use seeds treated with approved substances. So some of the things that organic growers could use would be like inoculants for um, rhizobial inoculants or uh, natural natural substances that uh, help to reduce uh, disease. Now, treated seeds that are treated with captan or thyram, those would not be allowed in organic production.
0: Tell me something. How does the National Organic Standards Board work with the National Organic Program?
1: Well, the National Organic Standards Board has a a number of different committees that – work on various topics, uh, look at materials that are being petitioned to be added to the national list or uh, all materials have to be re-reviewed every five years. We call that the sunset review process, or they're working on various topic areas, uh, like currently they're working on a policy for nanotechnology and animal welfare. So uh, what we do is we have an NOP staff member that... uh, that takes minutes for those meetings and then we have another NOP staff member that is a technical advisor to the uh, committee and so we work very closely with the NOSB as they're uh, doing their deliberations and try to support the work that they're doing.
0: So the NOSB would be an advisory board to the right. program but ultimately the USDA would have to have oversight to approve any recommendations.
1: Right. The the NOSB is an advisory board, and they make recommendations, and those recommendations are not part of the regulations or part of the, of the standards unless the NOP adopts those recommendations. And um, those recommendations are in a few different categories. There's recommendations that would require rulemaking, which would require us to go through a proposed rule and a final rule with public comment, or there are recommendations that are... And a recommendations on interpretations of the existing regulations, and those we can we can promulgate or we can put out through uh, either a guidance statement or an instruction. So the one thing about the NOSB that's pretty unique in terms of how federal advisory boards work is that they do have statutory authority over uh, the materials that are on the national list. That's the national list of allowed and prohibited substances. USDA cannot add any substances to the national list unless the NOSB has, has made a recommendation to add those substances to the list.
0: Miles, we just have a couple of minutes left, and I want to give you an opportunity to say anything you'd like about the National Organic Program that I neglected to ask you.
1: Well, I would like to tip my hat to all the organic producers and handlers that are out there. I've worked with many of them in the Northwest for many years, and they're just, uh, you know, they're the ones that are really the, the, uh, the heart and the soul and the ones that are, uh, are doing the, the real work on the ground of producing uh, wonderful crops and products for, for, the, uh, for consumers, uh, well, both U.S. consumers and for export markets around the world. So I want to tip my hat to them. We have a lot of work to do. It's going to take us years to get a lot of these things put into place. The program's been underfunded for a number of years, and uh, so there's a backlog of work to do to uh, implement the uh, NOSB recommendations, to uh, implement a quality management system, but we'll get there, and um, protecting organic integrity is our number one priority, and we're doing everything we can to make sure that we do that. you know, on a global basis. We're doing more assessments around the world. We have a team in China right now doing inspections of certifiers and certified operations. They're there for almost a month to do that uh, review. So, um, yeah, still a lot of work to do, but I feel very uh, happy about uh, the progress that we've made.
0: Well, I'm really glad you're at the head of this organization right now, Miles. We've been speaking with Miles McAvoy. He is the Deputy Administrator of the National Organic Program, part of the USDA's Agricultural Marketing Service. Um, Miles, I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to thank our listeners for joining us and remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Miles, thank you for being with us today.
1: Sure, no problem.